0: Welcome to The pint with Shawnee B. coming to you from South London in Dulwich. I'm at the home of one of Britain's preeminent cardiologists who would be the first cardiologist on the show and possibly the first medical person that we've ever had to speak to. (laughs) (laughs) I'm here today to talk to him about lots of stuff. The guy is uh, not just one of the great medical people of Britain, but he's also got lots of other strings to his bow and we hopefully touch on them. I'm welcoming Richard Schilling to the podcast. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, Sean. I was going to try and memorise all the things that you do right now as your main job, so why don't you cover that?
1: Okay, so um, I work as a cardiologist at Bart's Heart Centre. I'm a professor of cardiology at Queen Mary University of London. And at the moment, I'm also the director of strategy and commercial for the Bart's Hospital okay. uh, itself. So What does that last bit entail? So that uh, basically involves being the sort of clinical lead for the strategy for the hospital. So we get all the clinical teams, ask them to give us their strategy, and then we sort of put it all together
0: into a cohesive plan. We were having this interview around the time when there's people on the street protesting against what's happening to the NHS in Britain. What what does it look like from your side of the fence?
1: Well, I'm in a very lucky position in that Bart's Hospital doesn't have an A&E. So we're a highly specialised hospital, ring fence from the nightmare and, mm. that the A&Es are having to face at the moment. Mm. Um,
0: Is it primarily an A&E driven well, malaise? Or? Well, you know,
1: the, the, that's the entry point into the hospital. Mm. And so they're the gatekeepers. And so when you have a flu epidemic, they're the ones at the front line having to face that. Yeah. I mean, there's undoubtedly frivolous use of A&Es, but there's also an increasing demand by people that are genuinely sick. Mm-hmm. Um, because the population is increasing and getting older and yeah. needing more help, and the money's becoming less. Well, the money's not growing, yeah, or significantly. Yeah, I mean, the, the government will say it is, but in reality, it's not.
0: And we have a beautiful, perfect storm happening where America has got like, and I lived there for eight years, so yeah. I, I mean, you know, just to give you some perspective, my health insurance in Ireland right now, where I live, is something like a hundred and twenty a month, yeah, a euro when I was traveling globally, it was 280. Uh, that was for pretty good health insurance globally, excluding America. Yeah. And if I wanted America included, it was 620. Yeah. Right. So the, the, the American system is, is is you know, the, the, the great line of mixing capitalism with medicine doesn't yeah. work. You know, it, well, it doesn't work for patients.
1: Well, it doesn't, well, it doesn't work for patients and it doesn't work for anyone really. <laughs> there you go, right. And I think one of the amazing things about the US is that you have some centers of, Amazing quality care. But let me give you an example. So one of the procedures that I've dedicated a lot of my research to is a thing called AF ablation, where you take patients who have abnormal heart rhythms called atrial fibrillation and you pass a wire up from the leg and you use that to try and cauterise and get rid of the areas that are promoting the irregular rhythm. In Europe, the death rate with an AF ablation is less than 1 in 2000. I mean, it's right. very, very rare. It's tiny. In the US, one in 300. Wow. So it's Not caught in time. Well, no, it's just because the quality of the care there is not good overall. So while you have centres of excellence, for the vast majority of Americans that get healthcare, yeah. the care, the quality of the care they get is actually not that great, even though it's incredibly expensive.
0: And so you can extrapolate that, presumably, not just about that thing that you specialize in but across cancer and lots of other things is that fair yeah so the perception in europe is that america
1: is the greatest standard of healthcare, and for sure in some places it mm. is stratospherically good yeah but for most americans it no is no i agree yeah pretty yeah, bad I mean, over there it's
0: i don't think it's considered but you know but the nhs is held up as one of the greatest things ever you know, mm. and this is one of the reasons that you know a lot of Britain is out marching on the street is to mm. protect things like they call it my NHS and yeah. the fact that it was, a, it was one of the great social things that yeah. was done yeah. uh, and is it, and being kind of eroded I mean at the moment we have a challenge
1: in that demand's going up and yet we are in an era where we do not feel that rationing is acceptable when I started off as a doctor mm. the waiting list for bypass operations were over a year uh, you know, there was an element of rationing and now we don't accept that. But yet, yeah, we're not prepared to pay.
0: Was that money. means ration? Like if you have money back then, you could get it, jump the queue? Yeah. I mean, you could do it. You could go privately for sure.
1: Yeah. I mean, the four hour wait in a and E. I've got no evidence for this, but you'd imagine that people will now go to an A&E because it's easier to do that than get to a GP. And so A&Es are under incredible strain. Yeah. Whereas back in the day when you were waiting 12 hours to be treated, they were less likely to go to A&E and more likely to go to their GP for a cold or a sore throat. Yeah, There's some hard decisions that we need to make as a country. Do we say it's free care for everyone and we're just going to have to pay more money? Or are we going to put some limit on the care we offer and a limit on the money we pay?
0: So on your side of the fence, which... You know, and you're obviously involved in strategy and all that stuff as well. What do you feel is the right solution? Uh, well, these are my own personal, personal views. views but I, get I, think I get that. But I mean, also, you're someone who's very yeah. informed.
1: Uh, well, I think you have to have some nominal fee that people pay if they go to an A&E to make right. them think about, yeah. do they really need to go there? Do they really need to go there mm. for a sore ankle? And you, have, you, you should have an element of free care, obviously, for people that are hard up or, or you know on yeah. benefits or whatever yeah. they, they shouldn't have to pay mm. and that's fine that you know the country can shoulder that burden yeah. but for the vast majority of people that are working that have disposable income they're carrying a you know a thousand pound phone in their pocket yeah, then, indeed. then presumably they could pay 15 pounds yeah. to be seen at A&E yeah and make them think about well, do I really need to go there
0: what about the whole Brexit thing it was the medical side of that was put front and center by the by the government who were mm. promoting uh, you know leave and apparently it was all bullshit
1: <laughs> yeah
0: I mean was uh, the 350 million whatever a month or a week or whatever the, the, there was a number Boris had on his bus right that yeah. was basically bullshit yeah
1: yeah, I, I'm sure it was <laughs> but, but for the NHS most of us felt very sad when that vote came in because most of our colleagues are not from Indeed, the there's that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of our colleagues felt a bit betrayed by that vote because yeah. they've come here, they care for people, they they don't get great salaries. Yeah. Um, and we're bolstered and shored up by Europeans yeah. who come here and help us out. Yeah. I mean, what, what did you think about it as an Irish? Well, I mean, kind of, as an know? Irish
0: guy, from a Brexit point of view, I have... Uh, certainly Ireland can't leave... <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I'm a believer that the EU needs to be shaken up mm. and I, don't, I think it's got bloated, fat, lazy and I don't mm. think it's prevented wars from happening and all these things um, and I think people like Macron is a very good step in the right direction because he clearly is rolling his sleeves up and trying to do something different I think him and Merkel if she continues to get things happening there I also felt Britain would be able to leave and would be fine like I mean, Switzerland uh, maybe it has Nazi gold but you know Switzerland is sat <laughs> in the middle of Europe yeah. for the last whatever and just yeah, kind of, yeah I'm not interested Britain is a, is a robust enough economy, I think, to take it. Yeah. I think it was done for the wrong reasons. I don't think, yeah. I, I, I mean, you may disagree, but I, I've grown up following English football and I, I would say that Britain is infinitely more racist in the 1970s than it is today. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that the, you know, the Islamophobia and all that kind of stuff, I mean, I, I have some sympathy with mm. discussions on Islam and, and parts of Islam that are, are trying to force their opinions mm. on me. From an Irish point of view, it has obviously huge ramifications for the north of Ireland and whether we mm. end up back to square one with a hard border and people smuggling X, Y and Z and God knows what going on. Yeah, And then on the other hand, we might be sucking an awful lot of business out of London. So yeah. there's this kind of double-edged sword yeah. for us. Yeah. As far as health is concerned, we have, uh, you know, I, I often make the point on the podcast that when I left Ireland 26 years ago and I'm just back a year, you know, the five things that were problems back in 1996 are still yeah. the five things that are proper today. One of them was a burgeoning, creaking, ineffective health system that yeah. is you know, something like 2,000 people around the country waiting on trolleys every day. My yeah. joke is when... What happens when we run out of trolleys? Yeah. <laughs> um, mm. So we have a health issue with an education system that needs help. We've got a homeless system that's terrible. We've got a body politic that just procrastinates and talks and doesn't do anything. Yeah. And we, uh, you know, my view, we have a huge lack of creativity.
1: But that leads me on to... The thing that disappointed me most about Brexit was that the arguments for and against were not presented. Correct. And they got away with it. Yeah. You know, the, the leadership that we have today is allowed to get away with poor quality leadership and poor arguments. Yeah. And we don't hold them to account. And that's the really disappointing thing about the new era of politics. You know, the same is true for the Trump and...
0: Well, as an Irishman... The British politic today is akin to our politics when I was growing up. Mm. Weirdly, we're starting to become a little bit kind of cool and trendy. We've got a homosexual 38-year-old Taoiseach who's doing a pretty good job. And we're, yeah. he's bringing young people on board. Mm. Game and the crony is one of the first in. in. We have yeah. a probably as this is going out, we'd we'll be having a, a, a debate on abortion, which is still illegal. Yeah. Um and people feel very strongly about that. <laughs> because most of the people are coming over here for abortions, yeah. right? Yeah. So well, we, Scotland, it's yeah. not as if we <laughs> don't have it. Yeah. <laughs> so the hypocrisy of mm. mainly clerical you know, church based hypocrisy of we're a very good holy catholic country. None of our girls get pregnant mm. except they go over to England when yeah, they want. Yeah. So you're, you're grand if you want an abortion and you have a few bob in your pocket yeah. but you can't if you don't. So I mean, yeah. you know, this this you're just like, what about things like Sicko? You know, the Michael Moore movie and these kind of, I, me- I remember one piece in it where a guy had lost two fingers in a lathe. Yeah. And they had been Recovered and mm. wrapped in ice and brought to a hospital, and the guy had a discussion. He could only afford, with his medical, to have one of them sewn back on. Yeah, I think it was a, a ring and a pinky. He had to sit there like with still bleeding mm. before they did anything. Yeah, and they had both his fingers. Yeah, and said, "Which one do you want? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, are you going to throw the other one down the toilet? Like, I mean, that is, and I just couldn't understand that. Was it over drama, dramatizing? Well, I think
1: it's probably not. I mean, if you if you look at private healthcare in the UK, it's great, but they make damn sure you can pay before they give you anything, because it's a business. I mean, one of the great things about the NHS is that, uh, first of all, it offers care regardless of your wealth, but yeah. secondly, they're highly incentivized to prevent. A lot of the system is actually set up to produce disease prevention rather than dealing yes. with... Whereas in the US, you're incentivized to let the disease happen because then you can make more money treating it. it. Yeah, big pharma. GPs are incentivized to manage blood pressure. One of the reasons why heart attack rates have dropped in the UK is simply because GPs are really managing blood pressure very, very well. But they're under increasing strain now because they're underfunded and given all sorts of targets that it's really tough to to manage. So it's it's a big challenge. And the NHS is a... Something we should absolutely preserve and hold up as a great institution.
0: Just picking up on that point you just made about big pharma. So things like statins, right? Mm. And also the role of diet and the role of cholesterol. And, and you know what's happening now with you know, triglycerides and whether fat is as bad for you as everyone thinks it is. And maybe mm. sugar is the killer. And all that stuff that's happening around diet right now, which yeah. has a direct relationship to things like brain, heart, cholesterol issues... Where do you sit on on that as as one of the top heart guys? It's all pretty
1: much common sense. You know, there's a lot of science and a lot of science used to confuse things. But if you if you none of these things will stop you dying of a heart attack, they'll just skew the odds in your favor. So if you eat a healthy lifestyle and you exercise regularly and you don't smoke and you Mm. don't take you know I'm not doing, doing very well so far on this list <laughs> <laughs> you don't take cocaine in huge <laughs> amounts then then you're more likely to longer than others but mm-hmm. of course people always give you oh well you know so and so dropped dead when he was running a race at 50 yeah. and so my uncle Charlie Smoky smoked till he was 90 yeah. and of course you know it's they sister, yeah, yeah. So you're, you're just reducing curve. your risk, yeah. You know, like if you wear a seatbelt, you're less likely to die in a car but t- crash. T- talk
0: to me about the LGL, HDL kind of particle size issue, which is a big issue, right? Which is coming out on, like, the, the amount of fat you have glo- blobbing around. If they're big blobs, they're good. If they're small blobs, they can... They can they can cause uh, arterial clogging and all that. I mean, I'm very amateur about this, well, but I have no, I have not, studied it. To, little me, little. to be honest, Sean, I'm
1: not much better because okay. my
0: my speciality
1: is heart rhythm. So my okay, right. my so HDL LDL cholesterol really refers to the plumbing and the uh, narrowing up of the arteries. Right. And so LDL low density lipoprotein is a is a bad cholesterol. Yeah. And HDL is felt to be a good cholesterol. Yeah. And if you have low LDL, then you're less likely to get clogging up at an early age than you would if you had a high LDL. Right.
0: Maybe to get on to what happened to me. So yeah, I, I on, was like, um, to you? so, you know, as I said on, my, on your checklist, I, I don't perform too well. I'm a smoker, drinker, not a huge amount of drugs, but um, I was living in Denver and I was feeling shortness of breath for about a year. I mentioned it a couple of times to GPs and they said they, you know, they checked check me out. And fine. Like I just need to catch my breath a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, like, and the only way I can describe it is not, not, no heart pain, but an awareness. It was as if I could feel my heart sometimes working. It wasn't like it was working over time, but I was conscious of my heart there. You're not supposed to be conscious of it, right? So let, let me see if I can describe <coughs> the symptom. Like you're sitting there perfectly happy. Yeah.
1: And then suddenly you may feel a skip, but you can then feel you need to take a deep breath. Yeah. And then you
0: feel your heart giving a really strong Not beat, even perhaps? that, but just like, I can just feel it. Work. I can feel yeah. something happening here. And the problem with this is that I got it checked out and everyone said, you're fine. And Mm. then I'm like, all right, but like, you know, years are going by and I'm just thinking I'm going to hit the deck one day. Mm. Something's going to go here. And I was in uh, Denver, uh, again, at altitude, right? So Mm. I'm I'm high in the mountains. And I'm coming down Saturday with my girlfriend and I just go, you know what? I feel like we should pull into the hospital. Now, one of the things I learned in the advertising business is one of the reasons men die earlier than women is because men go, I'm fine, I'm fine. Mm. Women are much more kind of, I'm not fine, I'm going to get it checked out. Again, I had perfect health insurance, so you know they talk about open wallet surgery over mm. there. So I come mm. in, put me on an EKG. The girl who's doing it said, I could just see her face, and I said, um, what's wrong with that? Because she, it's printing out. And she goes, oh, I don't know anything about this. 90 seconds later 20 people rush into the room including a priest so i've gone from basically shall i go in? To two hours later we're going to have an operation on you it's going to take four hours you're gonna have to be awake for it we're going to rebuild your heart you're either having a major heart attack have had a major heart attack or about to have a major heart attack or all three of those And uh, the priest is here to give you the last rites. And suddenly my whole world goes, (laughs) okay. OK. Weird thing aside, I was kind of cooler than I thought I would be. Mm. That near approach of death, maybe because it was so sudden. But I was kind of like, oh, anyone I offended or want to make peace with or any regrets. So within two hours, I'm on the slab. Mm. The uh, the slab's after the uh, table. Okay, no, I'm not. well. I'm getting ready for yeah, whatever. you know the slam is where you go oh, that's if the things death. go Sorry, that's <laughs> I'm on the table. Sorry, um, and I remember saying a few things. One was like keep cracking jokes because you know someone's got to collect the body and and was mm. cracking jokes, on me, which I know you guys hate because these guys hate it because <laughs> uh, they weren't very good jokes. Um, two was to try and die like a man because mm. I was a bit scared and I'm not really good with pain. Mm. Uh, and three was you know weirdly was was some weird kind of otherworldly thing of well if this is part of death then bring it on because i'm in, in, intrigued to see what it's like and and i wasn't as scared and i don't have kids and i don't have people responsible for me so it's mm. like no nobody did so anyway, they go in through my groin with camera they're going to rebuild my heart quote unquote mm. and put stents in right so 35 minutes into the operation the surgeon comes up to me and goes this is a bit embarrassing. He said, uh, we're coming out. Your heart is is perfect. I heard them mention this guy's got the heart of a 20-year-old and I said, I don't know how that got in there, which again, mm. was one of those jokes they didn't like. But within 35, 40 minutes, I'm in ICU and it's like, you're fine. And I'm like, whew, okay. <laughs> that was a close shave. Then they were going to release me at about 11 o'clock that night. And I said, mm. well, I don't, I, you can have the bed. I don't clearly need the ICU, but like, I still have this issue. And I want you, since you've decided to go in, tell me what the hell's wrong. So they did a, a blood die thing the next day and that was fine and they left me going with the with with the kind of diagnosis that this sort of stuff happens when you're in your 40s right yeah a subsequent doctor a year later in Denver said that basically I think my heart is slightly off tilt. does right. that make sense to you like it's it's not quite yeah. straight and that's what's causing EKGs to kind of go a little bit weird which is right. causing them to misread them which is causing them to go with that. and I still wasn't happy so like for four years after that I was still getting these symptoms. Every doctor, cardiologist said, you're fine. And I still felt any, like twice or two times a month. Sorry, Sean,
1: just before we go on, can yeah. I just check that you are insured, aren't you, for this consultation?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm thinking. i No, thinking I have to give you all the information. No, no, I know I'm just, you're interested I'm just in this. Teasing. You're I'm just interested teasing. in this. <laughs> so what happened? So, you know, four years goes by and I'm still literally, not all the time, and I'm, I'm you know, I haven't changed much. And then only last year, somebody said to me, You know, I bet you it's coffee. And I go, it's not coffee. I've been drinking coffee all my life. Like I've been drinking lots of coffee all Mm. my life. And there's some coffee thing, which is if you don't have the genes to break down caffeine, you leave a layer and a layer and a layer and layer, and over a big period of time, you're throwing cups of coffee apparently in the top of, you know, whatever. This is all probably nonsense to you. But I gave up coffee. Maybe there was placebo. I don't know. But as soon as I gave up coffee, everything went away.
1: So here's here's a really beautiful... uh, example of medicine overrating itself or or misunderstanding its role in the world so i I think that all along you had probably what's called ectopic beats where your heart skips and misses beats the heart's a pump and it uses an electrical signal to keep it going and every cell is electrically active and so if you do an ecg for long enough you'll record ectopic beats Mm. in people everyone has them some people can go through periods when they just get them more often than others and Mm. no one understands why So a few years ago, doctors had the idea, well, look, let's see whether if we suppress these ectopic beats with drugs, particularly in the high-risk patients that have had heart attacks, maybe we can make them less likely to have cardiac arrest. So they did this trial, and they had to stop both trials because the ones that were given the drugs were dying, Dying. and the ones that were given the placebo were fine. But when you see an ECG abnormality, it is a medical reaction to go. Oh well, there's something we need to do here, rather than reaction saying, "Well, hang on, what's the problem and why are we doing something?" Yeah. And caffeine can, in some patients, make them more frequent and, and mm. give you those symptoms. I guess the point I'm making is that we have a great tendency in medicine to want to do something about something, yeah, yeah. particularly if you're paid to do it, yeah. and that can sometimes lead to more harm than good. Like you ended up having an angiogram, which has a one in a thousand risk of a serious problem. Yeah, um, thanks whereas... for telling me now. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but the the, thing, the the single most important thing for improving our longevity is good hygiene and good food.
0: <laughs> not not to, not, back to nothing your age, to do with doctors. Back to your point about prevention. You know, mm. like the, mm. as you said, the American system is geared to make something happen. Let yeah. me spend some money. I mean, like yeah. I often wondered if I didn't have the card that I went in with. Yeah. Would I have had that have kind of panicking treatment? Yeah. It was a great. You you liked this. I, I ended up like about eight months later being up in MIT in Harvard, and I met the head one of the one of the top medical guys there, who's a big old Santa Claus lookalike guy, and he was laughing his head off. And I told this story to him. Yeah, he said the problem is we all go to college as doctors. And we all learn. We have not a clue half the time. Half yeah. the time we're just guessing. You know. Yeah. And he said depends on who you're getting guessing. Yeah. You know if you get a yeah. good guesser, yeah. you'll probably do
1: do, do it. And yeah. that's exactly right. When a doctor says. I know exactly what's going on, be suspicious. <laughs> We're making an educated guess based yeah. on our previous experience and statistics from studies. We're yeah. not, you know, the human body is still so unbelievably complex. We don't understand how it works. Really. Filter
0: me now into the conversation when you just use that word because I want to talk a little bit to you. I mean, it's not your field, I know, but I'm intrigued about the whole urgency with which we're moving down this AI route. Mm. And it is happening really quickly. And the problem Mm. is it's happening with no checks and balances. Yeah. You know, like there could be an Ozymandias type guy who's creating a Mm. fleet of drone-like humanoids that can just emerge out of Antarctica, probably Mm. not anytime soon. But where do you see technology and all of that stuff going? So I had a very heated
1: conversation with a friend of mine only this week about this whole issue because he's right. into computers um i've had interactions with a number of different divisions of google and they come at it with an absolute belief that ai will solve the problem and that is a big worry for me because if, if a scientist comes at a problem believing that they can solve it and they know all the answers then they're going to fuck it up because you should go into a, solving a problem with an absolute belief you don't know what's going on and you hope that you might get there you're not even it. sure what the problem is yeah. let's face it <laughs> like what is the problem yeah so their their belief is that you throw data at the problem enough volume of data you'll solve it no matter what the quality of the data so you know fitbit and, and mm. these other things being a good example yeah but actually the data you get from these types of systems are completely hopeless i mean mm. You know, they're very inaccurate and they're not a marker of disease no. or, or, or anything. So I think AI will solve some problems some point later on down the line. But at the moment, I think it's at least 10, 20 years off. Genetics being a perfect example of this. We thought that we could be... In the 60s, we thought we'd crack that. Yeah, Yeah, you sort the human genome and Mm. you'll know the answers. And now it turns out we're only just beginning to understand what the question might be, because it's not just the genes, it's the way the genes interact with one another, how the environment interacts with the genes. Mm. So disease is a lot more complex, or most diseases are a lot more complex than just one gene causing a problem. Mm. I guess another example is that we, in heart rhythm management, have been implanting devices into patients for a long time now pacemakers Mm -hmm. defibrillators and they give us a lot of information they can transmit remotely Mm -hmm. and give us a lot of data about what's going on and they still are not able to prevent patients coming into hospital with things like heart failure because even with these implantable devices that measure the impedance across your chest they're still not sensitive and accurate enough to Mm -hmm. anticipate a heart failure problem, for example. So I think we're still away of it. Are we being
0: hysterical?
1: Uh, you mean inferior the AI thing? Yeah, inferior. the coming
0: of the robots and robot overlords.
1: Uh, it's not my area. My, no, pers- uh, you know, my, my so personal much. feeling is probably not. Yeah, right, You know, right, it's yeah. a tool that we're going to use like anything yeah.
0: else, and ultimately, it's got a plug. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> Hopefully,
0: there is that. Well, that's that's actually the main check and balance right now. Isn't yeah. Switch it on and switch it, switch it yeah. off and switch it back on again, mm. which is which is fine until the machine knows that you're going to do that. Yeah, <laughs> and it happens. comes up with the, with a with a with a reboot because yeah. we've taught it to try and think around problems. Yeah, there's a great one which was about um, if you tried to get a machine to produce. I think it was like two strawberries. Take one strawberry and make an exact replica mm. of it on a plate, mm. and. That sounds like an easy and very benign kind of thing to ask a machine to do. But the machine will go through every known possibility of doing that, including possibly blowing up the world yeah, <laughs> to yeah. see if that works. Yeah. That didn't work. Oh, wait. <laughs> yeah. and, and it's just to make another strawberry, <laughs> yeah. right? Mm. And that that there's no sort of overseer that goes, hey, stop doing that. Or, you know, you got got which you have in medicine. Yeah, but then
1: if you think about... I guess I mean, the you Hippocratic know, oath
0: the the argument I put back to you is that AI
1: it can't do any worse than we're already doing. I mean we're afraid of AI and yet we're not afraid of tru and you've got
0: fish being hooked out of the sea full Indeed. of dude well I guess the point is we haven't we, we've got, sorry maybe by the time this has gone out, Donald Trump still hasn't put his finger on his big nuclear button yeah that's an interesting one to think about with regards to a computer who may not have the kind of nuance and kind of and we just go okay no i know in this situation when this guy's challenging me and there's a danger of this going on to the hawaii and this i need to preemptively strike boom yeah Uh, and that would be an example to me of ai (laughs) doing something without the kind of empathy and nuance and sort of stuff that that humans bring sometimes to an equation even if they are bad well
1: here's okay let me give you an example where it might find it challenging to work One of the things that I do is to uh, put in things called implantable defibrillators which are basically little pacemaker devices that go under the skin, they monitor the heart rhythm and they deliver a shock if you have a cardiac arrest. Brilliant, must be a great thing, why doesn't everyone have them? But then if you have a 75 year old guy sitting in the room with you who's got heart failure and and we know that patients who have heart failure and scarring their hearts are a greater risk of a cardiac arrest. So the knee-jerk reaction is i put a defibrillator in, it'll stop you dying from a cardiac arrest. Importantly, it doesn't stop you having the cardiac arrest. It just delivers the shock to stop you. That the may fix you. But then you have to open up the conversation, how do you want to die? Because the defibrillator will not allow you that death in your bed or dropping down dead suddenly it will change the way you die and indeed some recent research suggests that particularly for older patients it doesn't actually make you live any longer it just changes the way you die makes it more painful well yeah possibly or or, you know a slow deterioration or drowning in your own fluids and probably Probably. failure. so these are really ethical questions difficult conversations that you have to have with patients and of course the family with them say They've got to have the defibrillation. The patient's going. Mm, yeah. I'm not sure that that's what I want. Yeah. Well,
0: so the these- DNR business is interesting because, like, I even had a chat with my father, who's still hale and hearty in his eighties. Yeah. Um, and I, I, you know, it's hard. To have, I'm the Alice kid, and I wanted just to make sure I knew what his wishes were. He's thankfully, as I said, not in any trouble. But like, he did. I you know, said, under no circumstances, switch me off. Yeah. Right. You know, and that, mm. and he's a very religious guy, and I guess mm. he's coming out from that angle. Whereas I'd be the opposite. I mean, do you think we'd end up with um, euthanasia in our lifetime soon enough? Well, right. we, we already do. In and Switzerland. Frank- yeah.
1: Well, frankly, we already do to some degree in the UK. Hospice care and all that, yeah. Well, no, I mean, in when I was uh, a junior doctor, you know, it was well accepted that you would just give patients enough painkiller that they wouldn't be uncomfortable um, and it course, was never formally quite. recognized. Yeah. Now, thank goodness it is. And we discussed that with the patients and we discussed it then. But you.
0: It's now, a lot compassion. of it was for religion. Like, there's a religious thing here as well that just is very, you know, aiding suicide and all this kind of stuff. And there's, you know, the ethics of that. But, like, we're great with our pets. <laughs> yeah. Know, it's like, oh, poor old Fido. But Fido could be going, I know, I can still hobble along on one, on, on three legs. But. Uh,
1: you know, but I don't understand why people do not feel that patients have the right to decide. Yeah. What they do. Why? Why should patients not have the right to choose whether they live or die? It doesn't make sense to me that we give them every other decision, but not that the most well, important just, decision. And they except have. women and abortion
0: in Ireland as well, where the yeah. same thing comes into play. Where Although you could argue there's
1: another life involved there, but if, this is if, not. This is even simpler. Yeah. This is your own life. It's your yeah. own control. Why? Yeah. Why shouldn't you have yeah. the right? And people
0: will say, "Well, they don't have capacity, well you can, sometimes, sometimes you can, yeah, you can protect or you from can that. put in your will.
1: Yeah, you can protect from that. But so no. you
0: were a junior doctor. Talk to me a bit about how a guy ends up being you know because you were similar okay. vintage-ish, you know yeah. and uh, what was your background? Where were you born? what was your what was your life journey like? Bought up in Hackney, right My dad was a G.P.. I didn't do that well at school. Uh,
1: Not good if you want to be a doctor.: No. I um, spent a year working in as a photocopying... Ponto print or something. Well, yeah. well, I don't, no, I just yeah. worked in an office fixing photocopiers okay. and, and photocopying things. And, yeah, I mean, let's be clear, I would never get into medical school now. I wasn't allowed in the first time. I spent a year doing this clerical job, realised this is not the way I wanted to spend the rest of my life. Didn't get in the second time, and then someone dropped out. Right. And they offered me a place. So I just scraped it.
0: Was your father... Someone pushing you into it, or did you always look up to him and go, I want to follow in his footsteps? Well, actually, my grandfather was also. Involved. Okay, so it was did you feel responsibility
1: as a kid to, no? I didn't, know, but obviously I had that world available yeah, to around me, you. Yeah. and I think that influenced me. Yeah. You know, I saw that that was a potential opportunity and a possibility. Did you have brothers and sisters? I do. Uh, uh, they're not doctors. Okay. My brother runs a very successful furniture company, and my sister works in the U.S., so I got in at by the skin of my teeth you know, and then I spent, I did okay at medical school. I wasn't, you know, mm. incredibly, you know, academic. I just grew, I matured late. So I did my house jobs, uh, which is the first year after medical school. And then I couldn't get a job after that. And then I managed to land a job in Hull. Which Don't go to Hull
0: apparently if you... <laughs>
1: so Hull was the making of me because um, it was really super busy. Um, I was the only person there interested in cardiology at that time. So you're now
0: like in an A&E working 27 hours a
1: day kind of I thing? I was working on a, so, okay, so <laughs> I did a coronary care job. I did an intensive care job. The coronary care job we did a one in three with prospective cover. So it meant if someone was away, you covered them. So it was one in two. You slept on the on the ward.
0: And I was earned bit, pittance. I was a bit loony by the end of that. And that still goes on more so now, right? The, uh, no, it's less. It's there's t- a thing in Ireland now where the doctors have to wear a badge to say that they're acting up is the word. Mm-hmm. Do you know what that means? Mm-hmm. So they have this thing where, which acting up, of course, to me means like you're being a brat. <laughs> yeah. But they, have, they, yeah. Have, they have some new thing coming in where because these doctors are being run off their feet that, you, you know, you have doctors having to come in. Yeah. Just out of school. But yeah. I think you know, the problem is yeah. to your point, view, yeah. they have to wear a badge. So I'm, I'm really, a okay, shit doctor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you went through all that. So well, I, I've never spoken to someone. I, I have huge respect for doctors and particularly nurses, people who, who and, you know, I put teachers in there, people who do a lot of great things. And I work in advertising and I get paid a load of money. And these people are working much harder than me and doing something much more important than I did. And getting half the salary or quarter of the salary. What was it like? It was phenomenal. Right, tell me why. It was a massive,
1: huge privilege. So the nurses all knew that you were working all the hours that God sends, and as long as you were decent to them, they really looked after you. It was a bit like being in a rugby team or being at war, you know, there's a camaraderie there yeah. that you get in situations of adversity. And then on top of that you have the amazing privilege of looking after patients who purposefully, yeah. Yeah, you know, who know that you've been working long hours and are really by and large, really decent people as well, who are just grateful that you're doing the best you can for them. So it's, a, mm. it's an incredible, incredible job and an incredible opportunity.
0: Well, I hope everything uh, goes uh, better with the NHS. Coming away from me- medicine, tell me about your interest in flying and where that came from. Um, so I uh, was taken away by... The anesthetist
1: that I work with, he gets very upset if I call him my anesthetist because right. you know he's he's a doctor in his own right. Yeah. <laughs> so he's okay. he was a pilot and he took me on a trip to Jersey. And oh, this is really interesting. Sort of a Cessna type thing, or it was in yeah, it was in a little twin engine yeah. thing. And so I thought, well, this this is came at a time in my life where I still wanted some academic stimulation, still wanted some challenges, and right. flying right. offered of that. But it also offered me the chance to. Understand how aviation works and works so much better than medicine in terms of safety. Yeah. So I interesting. Did a private pilot's license. I uh, did an instrument rating, and then I did a. Um, so what did you find? What were the What were the parallels? So the the really interesting thing is that in medicine, still, if you want safety, they say you do it this way, and that's the policy. In aviation, they say, you do it this way because someone did it that way and they fucked up and everyone died. They have a much better way of teaching why you have to use this type of safety. Precedent. Yeah. Plus, of course, you know, if you
0: fuck up as a pilot, you're going
1: down with everyone else, whereas a (laughs) doctor, there is that
0: bit. I wonder Uh, what medicine would be like if it was like whatever patient you were treating. Oh my God. (laughs) That's a movie (laughs) in that. That would be a great movie. Yeah. It's like Sully, you know, the the, the, the guy (laughs) who. It's an amazing film. Great movie, yeah, yeah. 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 And. uh, and I remember being in, in in New York when that happened. You have two kids who are you can listeners can probably hear outside um being wrangled. When did they come along and where so your career did it did it take off and did you so, when did you feel like a, as a doctor cuz I, I always have this with any of my friends who are doctors, it they, it, it to me it felt like they were like working for nothing till they were like nearly thirty. It's kind of a very weird mm. uh, salary trajectory. Yeah. Um. When did it all start happening for you? When you felt like okay, I'm 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 now, sort you know, not sortable. I've got I've got it all under control.
1: So I um, met my wife Claire when
0: I was a registrar so i think i was about
1: 34 so So
0: registrar that sounds like a kind of lowly job yeah so it's just before a consultant right okay so i
1: met her a couple of years before i got made a consultant she was a medical student i'd had a pretty good time and (laughs) then met claire and fell in love with her and then we kind of settled down life was a bit more stable a bit more money yeah but you're right because it's fine for me i'm a bloke yeah i could live everything and then have kids at the age of that 41 one. or whatever and yeah. everything's fine whereas if you're a woman yeah. I mean, it's a much harder deal because the plus you're is still ticking. working long hours and no money and you've got to have kids yeah so yeah I, it was around late I mean yeah. being between 30 and 40 I mean it
0: is it, it is the 7 or 8 years yeah. that most of us I didn't even go to college I started working at 18 but like you know a lot of my friends are 23 but then there's the Medical people are the architects that are coming out like 28, 29 before yeah. they're starting to earn a cost need, and being worked into the bone. Do you need
1: that much money though? I mean, no,
0: I, no, but you're I, talking to the right guy about that. I mean, I've quit the whole app business because I just hate it. Yeah, you know? it's not, it doesn't give you know, the, the thing you talked about purpose is completely lacking in the advertising business. So, what, actually,
1: was, what was the best time of your looking back? What would you say was the best period of your life then? In terms of
0: this only came up about two weeks ago and yeah. I even brought it up today with, with, with uh, my sister and my girlfriend. Here's my theory on this. I never can think of a year that was great Yeah. in general. Yeah. I can think of a few bad years. Mm. Ex died, lost that job, lost that girlfriend. Yeah. But I can't go 2005. I mean, short of my football team doing well or something like that. But the last two years of my life, 16 mm. and 17, in my view, have been... Probably the greatest years of my life. Yeah. When I quit working, haven't got, had much income, mm. but have lived, learned, started re-educating myself on yeah. on, on things, fallen in love again, and, and, and had this weight of what I now look as meaningless. Mm. Like when you make an ad for a nappy... Mm the amount of time that goes into it, given what you do, yeah. right? like, this is similar, you know, and it goes on television. And yeah. I sit back and go, right, you know, you come home to Claire and you have dinner and you save someone's life. I come home, my nappy ad is on. Yeah. Know, there's a huge purposeful imbalance going on there. But it's not, but it's,
1: I don't think it's only just that. I think the, if you're intelligent and you have some element of drive, doing the same thing day in, day out, does Certainly. your head in. Uh, and it's true of medicine, it's true of everything else. If you're God bless them much, imagine some GPs are really struggling because ten years down the line they're still doing the same thing. And they can self medicate. <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> well I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say anything about that, no, no, but no. but um But I think one of the great things about most medical jobs is you can change it. You can flex. When you get bored of doing that, you can do something else. You can do some research. You can Mm. become a professor. You can become a manager. You know, there's a a constant ability to change things. Mm. And I would say to people, younger people listening, if anyone tells you you can't do something, tell them to go fuck themselves. Yeah, I agree. And the second thing I would say is think about what's going to happen. You know, you say this to young people they never do, but think about where you're going to be 10 years down the line. Mm. And is that still where you want to be? Because two, three years seems great, loads of money and blah, blah, blah. Mm. But is it still something you want to be doing 10 years down the line? If not, think about, well, how am I going to change it and move mm. it to the direction I want to be? Because the point you make, I see it all the time in the city, people yes, making a yeah. lot of money, but they're really Meaningless. depressed. Because but <laughs>
0: you have to look at what you did, going back to what you said earlier, which was, uh, even though you had your grandfather and your father and you had medicine around you, you were working in a photocopier. you there's thousands of lives that just continue down that track. Yeah. Hey, I, you know what? I got a job in Pronto Print today. I'm no longer in that office. I'm now earning, you know, whatever. I've got a company van, and you know, and and the, and the rest of your life goes off there. Yeah. So at some point, part of you went. Eh, no, I've got it. I've got a course adjust right now, early. Yeah. And I, I, kind of did something similar, but I don't know why I did it. But it's never too late, as you have yeah. shown. It's never too yeah, late. Yeah, yeah. So even if I
1: didn't course adjust then, I would have course adjusted later on. You right I there. have done. I yeah. have done. Yeah, I you know, went to Hull. Yeah. Amazing. to Everyone say, oh, poor thing, why are you going there? It was, yeah. the it was the making
0: of me. Yeah. Did the flying thing, you, you, so you now have your own plane. Does that, did that add an extra kind of, because you, you, I, I love what you said about the, trying to cross-pollinate the, the lessons in flying versus the lessons in what you do. Yeah. That bit you clearly. You now have your own plane and you yeah. you, you fly, you, you can fly, can you fly anywhere? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so. so like, you're, you've got a plane in an airport that you can just go, do you want to go to, Spain today. Yeah, we flew to
1: Ibiza last year. We Into Geneva, taking the boys skiing and on Thursday. So,
0: uh, sorry, this is a really stupid question, given the sort of uh, where we were, which was quite deep. Do you, can you drop? Can you like say we'll go with the weekend from now, and just well do you have to pay, like some airport charges or whatever? Uh, yeah, enough. ten minutes before you arrived, I yeah.
1: found my flight plan for Geneva for Thursday, so we're all heading off skiing then. Have you um, had
0: any scrapes? Yes,
1: tell me. So I had. See, so one of the things about aviation training is it teaches you about human behaviour and human factors. Yeah. And yet even then, I still managed to screw up. So I flew to the city aisles with the family yeah. in very windy conditions. Yeah. I'm rated to fly the instrument approach. I flew it and thought, okay, I'm through. I'm on. I can see the runway now. It's all okay. But one thing I hadn't taken into account was that there was a wind blowing across the runway that was far too big for my capabilities. Right. And because I was thinking so much about flying this approach precisely and accurately, I hadn't taken into account that crosswind. And as I landed, I went over a little bit. The wing twitched. And uh, I took off again and diverted Newquay, but I pranged the prop on the way through. And it was a real lesson to me. To and it was your family me. and you. Is that it? Yeah. There's no co-pilot or anything. No, it's just right. family and me. And it made me really. It really made me take stock. Yeah. And Claire and I had a conversation about it, and yeah. dissected why it happened. Yeah. And what was the, the
0: ninety seconds after the aborted landing like?
1: Uh, that was fine. The okay. Was the hindsight was, was so, well. The worst bit was going landing and then looking back on it because, of course, you compartmentalize it. Okay, well, I've got to put that aside. I've got yeah. to now get myself to Newquay and, yeah. and land there. And it it really made me think about whether I was the right person to be flying a plane. You know, whether I had the right psychology, whether you know, I hadn't set myself the right parameters to do that.
0: But isn't it like they they, they always say like for you know motor racing drivers or people who drive professionally, you need the scare. I mean, I'm sure it's the same when you were first operating on a heart, you know, where you encounter something that's not of, that's not on the books and that you then have to, you know, what you were saying earlier about yeah. this is what you're supposed to do. And, you know, I, I guess medicine is, is rife with legal issues and people suing if you don't like the, there's no room for the maverick who goes, you know what, I think we need this to do this to save this patient, whereas, you know, maybe an aircraft. Uh, flying, you can, you can take no. I, I think um.
1: medicine can have just as many as mavericks, but as you
0: get older,
1: I am much less gung ho than I used to be when I was younger. And I Interesting. heard a, a surgeon describe it once beautifully. He said, Inside my chest, I've got a graveyard wow. of all the people that died. I've How does that affect out? you? Um, it so on Thursday, I looked after a young boy who had. An abnormal connection that was causing him a lot of trouble, very, very close to the normal connection of his heart. And he'd already failed uh, two procedures in another place because yeah. of the risk of damaging that connection and ending up leaving him with a pacemaker. And a 17-year-old, a fit, young guy yeah. that's going to change his life. And it's a huge responsibility, hugely stressful, incredibly rewarding if you get it right. But ultimately occasionally you make mistakes and you've just got to live with that and you've just got to believe that you do the best you can Mm. it turned out okay for him but i have made mistakes in the past and i've got to live with those
0: yeah i don't know how you do that it sounds that sounds something that i just i don't even think i could get my, my my head around that because you never think about doctors really in that regard because you're only experiencing them in your own personal interaction with your parent or whatever and then you go away for a few years and you but that doctor then the next week has another person with another parent or whatever and it's just but one thing that flying's
1: taught me to vocalize or understand a bit more is if you don't accept you make mistakes you can't avoid making mistakes and you can't get better so i make mistakes True. and i analyze them and i think about well how do i not do that the next time and then hopefully i won't do it Whereas doctors say, oh, people die. They're not the right doctors
0: to have. You know, we're human. Last question. What would you say to your younger, particularly your younger self, particularly the photocopying job, younger self, if you could go back and just spend a sentence talking in that person's ear? Um, That's a really interesting question because
1: if we lived it again, I wouldn't go back because I don't think I'd be that lucky.
0: Say that, explain that. So, you so don't think you'd be looking if I, to, if someone, to medicine. So if, if someone said to me,
1: right, I can put you back into an 18-year-old body with all the knowledge you have now, would you take it? Oh, that's a different question. i totally yeah, no, no, take no. that. We'd, but, be, we'd be
0: kings of the world.
1: No, I wouldn't, No, oh, we would. I don't think I would because I have to say I've been so lucky along the road. Everything has kind of... Things have gone wrong and it turns out
0: they went right. Same here. But you're saying if the stuff you know now... You could suddenly be eighteen again. So I don't, yeah, no, I wouldn't because mm, I get, there's been there's been so I'm many president things, or something. <laughs> there's
1: so many things that I've been lucky. Yeah. with. So that's the, the reason I say that is I'm not sure what I would say to my seventeen year old self except you lucky bastard, you know, have a great we got, time. We got we got there. Yeah, we got there. Yeah,
0: it's going to be all right, mate. I hope it keeps going all right for you. It was a great conversation, and I love having these conversations with people, particularly like yourself, who are in you know, industries and the jobs that I, I I I never uh even begin to think about. So thank you very much for you know, I'm not you. You too. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop.